This is the Volleyball Coaching Wizards podcast, covering everything coaching. Motivated and inspired by interviews and conversations with some of the world's great volleyball coaches. To learn more about the project, visit VolleyballCoachingWizards.com. Now here are your hosts, John Foreman and Mark Levijou. Welcome to episode 17 of the podcast. Uh, we've, we're bringing Tom Tate back to, in for another discussion. Uh, this time the focus is going to be on basically the idea of the benefits of random training over block training, the old traditional just get the reps in. Uh, Tom is pretty well suited to be able to comment on this subject. Uh, obviously he was the essentially the father of the Penn State volleyball programs, coached both the men and the women, handed the women off to Russ Rose. Uh, held on to the men a little bit longer, but even after he uh, stepped back from coaching at the college level, he stayed involved with coaching education with USA Volleyball and has continued to be a professor of kinesiology at Penn State through the years. So he's pretty well set up to have uh, legitimate and valid opinions on this subject matter. So without further ado, here's Tom, and then you get to listen to Mark and I. Let me um, just wind back a little bit to what you were talking about in terms of um, over-drilling, so to speak. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that some coaches anyway think in terms of when they want to work on the mechanics and, they, and they're trying to get their players to, to execute skills with, with proper biomechanics, that they feel like they have to do reps and reps and reps and reps. So it becomes very block-oriented rather than random and game-oriented. Where's the, 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 the balancing line between those two? I, I would move heavily, heavily toward random. You know, uh, and, and here's, here's a mistake I'm seeing made at uh, very high levels today uh, with some top-level programs. Uh, coaches now are getting very, very good the top coaches at designing uh, games where uh, the scoring uh, is set up so that the game itself is moving the players in the direction you want to move them. For example, uh, let's say that your your setter is reticent to uh, set back row attacks, and you want them to set more back row attacks. So in a regular scrimmage, you could easily say, look, if you score uh, off of a back row attack, you're going to get three points, not just one. And so immediately, your center begins to think in terms of, ah, I'm going to try to get some back row attacks going here. So that having been said, that's not the end of what needs to happen. Suppose we're doing a scrimmage just like that, and that's all that we've done. But my job as an assistant coach is to work with the hitters and blockers. So while that scrimmage is going on and the scoring system is helping the setter to do what we want the setter to do, my eyes have got to be on that hitter and on that blocker to see the biomechanics and to help them to do a better job still within a random situation. The more we block it, 
and the less random we become, the more we limit what the learning is that's taking place. We might speed up the learning within that blocked uh, time period, but the learning is very, very narrowly focused. And the moment you make a change semi-randomly, the biomechanics fall apart because they haven't learned how to make the foot adjustment, the arm adjustment, whatever it happens to be, uh, to be successful in a more random situation. But if you get them doing things in a, in a more random way, their athleticism begins to do a job for them. Uh, I tell players all the time that you've got this little person on your shoulder whispering, sometimes screaming in your ear. That's Sir Isaac Newton, who really knows the laws of physics. And, you know, when, when he says, do this, do it. Don't do what I as a coach tell you to do. Sir Isaac Newton knows what you biomechanically should do. And you, you become an athlete through playing the sport uh, and really working at it rather than getting into this marching routine. Uh, you know, I think for many years, up until very, very recently, at least in the United States, we were really handicapping our women volleyball players by trying to turn them into robots where everything had to be done, left foot here, right foot there, arm goes here, uh, and so they couldn't play the game the way the game needs to be played. But now, uh, because in part, and, and I'm really giving a lot of uh, kudos to our national program, uh, at the highest level, we stopped doing that. And we started telling our athletes to be athletes. And we allow them now to be athletes. Yeah, that's a, a, a great little clip from uh, from Tom Tate there. Right? Because I think it, it touches on some really important parts of, uh, of skill learning and what a lot of coaches think of as being a, uh, an either-or uh, situation that um, we, either, we either work... We either practice repetition, or sorry, we either practice technique. We work on mechanics. We by doing repetitions, or we practice on. Uh, we practice as a game. We learn the game. Uh, we do six against six, and that the two things are, are mutually exclusive. And I think the the important, really important point from Tom Tate there is that the things are are not mutually exclusive. That they uh, that they work hand in hand. Yeah, a couple of things occur to me just uh, in terms of how we try to implement this stuff. Um, and obviously, the, the, the pushback that always comes in, and kind of, which led to the question that, that goes into Tom's response, is, well, you know, if, if we want to get the mechanics right, then the player needs to, to do reps. And I did hear or read someplace where somebody suggested, and this was you know, a PhD level person. So not just some random coach or anything, or anything like that, that if you're going to do 
some block and it, and it's okay to do a block at the very very beginning of the training sequence that but you only want to do say eight maximum 10 reps you certainly don't want to be going back there and just doing you know pass after pass after pass after pass or hit after hit after hit you want to go random very very quickly um, once basically once you've got the the movement pattern or whatever you're trying to train you know established in the mind of the athlete yeah um, now the, the question i have because we just dealt with it this week in training is how can you implement random training when you're working one-on-one -on -one? <laughs> uh the coach's challenge no nah, that wasn't where i was expecting that uh that you go there All um, right. uh, no but uh, i think the uh the answer to that is uh an in an article that i read with um uh talked about steve kerr practicing when he was uh when steve kerr is currently the coach of the Golden State Warriors, but he was a player, and he he was in a particular situation where uh, he was a three point shooting specialist, uh, but he he wouldn't play very much. So, but when he came on, he would be expected to score straight away. So, um, he was working with a coach who um, uh, who thought about it and the traditional way of, of practicing shooting in basketball, even to the NBA level, is to shoot a thousand balls a day or 10,000 or 500,000 or whatever number that seems ridiculously high to me. But that didn't help him shoot better coming off the bench with four minutes to go in the third quarter and he had one chance to shoot. So what they, what they did was that they would sit in the they would go to the gym and they do their warm up or whatever and then they'd sit down on the bench next to the court and they would just chat just chat 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 away do whatever shoot the breeze and at some moment the coach would just shout go and Steve Kerr would jump off the bench go on the court take a ball and shoot one shot and then he'd come back to the bench and then at some moment later they would repeat the purpose so that they'd have a whatever it was a 30 minute practice or an hour practice or something and he would not shoot a thousand balls but he would shoot seven with a space so adding uh some with a uh, sorry time in between each repetition so replicating what he was expected to do during a game so that's an example of how to make something random and i think the uh, but the answer to the question is uh, by using your imagination. Mm -hmm. All right. The the immediate pushback that I think somebody's going to have with a story like that is, okay, you're talking about a guy that is already by that point has the mechanics, has tons of experience shooting the ball. So what about when you're talking about somebody who's 12 years old just learning? <laughs> um. <laughs> I know this isn't your bailiwick, Mark. It's been a long time since you worked with 12-year-olds. Have you ever worked with 12-year-olds? Uh, very briefly once. <laughs> but uh, no, that, no, that's not true. I did, I did work uh, in some period with 12-year-olds. Um, I, can't, I can't really answer it in, a, uh, in, an, easy, in an easy way because we're still talking about in individual practice here so mm -hmm. um 
in an individual practice, the the randomness that you can introduce is is pretty small anyway. Right. Um, the the only thing, if we're talking about a different situation, maybe particularly the Kerr situation, um, you go you go back to the only thing you can do is go back to the original research that you mentioned that says. You know, in a blocked training session, you don't need to do more than ten reps. Anything after that is is not worthwhile. Yeah. So the only thing you can do is refer to is refer to the research because that's what we're basing uh, basing everything that we talk on about anyway. Yeah. Um, the if I want to talk about it in a broader sense, and just just as you started that um, when. It crossed, it crossed my mind that when, as I mentioned at the beginning, where coaches are often thinking about this as an either-or situation, we either work technique or, or game play, and we one is repetitions and one is during the game or during six against six. And while the research is seems to be clear that that random distributed practice is better, that the game teaches the game, all the other different ways that you can talk about it. That's not to say that repetitions don't produce a learning effect at all. What all of the research says is that the learning effect they produce is less and that it is, um, I can't think of the word off the top of my Transfer. head. But Transfer. Sorry? Transfer, is that the one you're thinking of? Uh, yeah, the learning effect, the transfer is less than in random practice and it's uh, not as resilient. So um, as Tom mentions in, the, uh, in that little clip that, um, you know, if you change one small thing, then you can lose the mechanics. So the, the, but the important point is to remember is that there is learning even in that repetition practice, that one-on-one -on -one practice. It's just not as much as we, as we imagine that it is. So if you're working one-on-one, -on -one, that's not, there are lots of other things that uh, that, that practice uh, helps with. You, you get to know the player, you develop a common language that you can use during practice, you can, you can find out lots of things um, about how they, want to work what they're thinking about their technique and and it provides lots of lots of insights over and above any any technical benefit but you have to remember that there is a technical benefit it's just less than we imagine that it is right yeah when i was at the hp coaching clinic that usa volleyball runs um this was uh, the 2015 version mm -hmm. um somebody posted the graph showing exactly why, exactly what the, the research indicates in the block versus random. And, and I'll put it, I'll find a copy of it and I'll put it in the show notes. But basically what it shows is that, yes, when you're in the block training, which basically means consecutive reps, very controlled, the learning curve is, is fast in the early stage and even from the beginning is higher than if you're doing the, the more random training. Mm -hmm. um, but it's what happens when you actually move them from the training situation to the execution phase to, to gameplay in our case. And yes. what you see in the block side of things is the skill actually declines 
from where it was after the training phase of block to where it is in game situations. So basically what Tom was talking about, you know, everything looks good when you're in training, but then everything falls apart once you put them in a game. The difference is that in a random situation, you actually see that the skill level continue to increase once they get into the game phase. Um, yeah. So that, when, when we talk about the research, that's the research. And like I said, I'll put it in the show notes. Now, one thing that I've faced, and I, I'm guessing you probably faced this along the way too, is when you're trying to implement the more random training, more game teaches the game in your training, you get pushback from players who think basically like a lot of coaches think, that I need reps. I, I, I need reps. You know, this isn't giving me reps. reps. Yeah. So what, how do you approach that? How do you try to, con A, convince them that, you know, what, what you're trying to do is the right thing, and B, also address the fact that sometimes it's not a physical thing, it's a psychological thing. This is where the environment that I work in is a little bit different, so, uh, or provides me with different challenges. So I work with professionals, so we practice every day, we practice two or however many hours every day. And so there is an element of, of, the, of the practice that I can program that a player thinks that they're uh, working on something. And I don't really lose any time from that. And even though I know there's no uh, particular transfer going on, I know that the player feels good if he does this, uh, this drill. And so... I can put that in the in the program just for that reason, um, and also I guess a, a one one other slight difference is that um, there are short term the the repetition type training produces some short term um, unstable benefits, but if I'm playing a match tomorrow, I'm not really considering today's practice as a learning. Uh, practice. It's a preparation for tomorrow's for tomorrow's practice. So, um, uh, sorry for tomorrow's match. So, if I do fifty floats of repetitions, um, I I can be reasonably confident that it will have a benefit for tomorrow's match. Now, it might not be a very big benefit. It might be mostly psychological, um, and it won't certainly won't last until the match after, but it's a it's a worthwhile um, it's worthwhile exercise to go through with the players. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking more in terms of, and this came up with me just in this in the season coaching in Sweden. Um, you know, sitting down with the players and and having a conversation about where things are going and what we're doing in training, and them saying we need more reps, we need more reps, and you know, of course, they don't realize that if you actually counted the number of reps that they got during the course of a training, when you, you, do, you do serve receive as part of a game like drill or just a flat out game, if that's what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, that, that it's, they're getting just as many of those as they would if they were just in a servers versus passers sort of situation. Um, but because they don't, it doesn't register for them like that, they think they need more. They need the isolated rep. So I can work on whatever. You know, I can work on my platform angle. I can work on my, my footwork. Um, so do you, I mean, do you let the players just do some of that stuff on their own? It's an ongoing process of education like everything else. So um, 
you know, depending on how you want to do things, you can just say, nah, we're going to do it my way. Or uh, as I as I mentioned, you can include, if you have a lot of practice opportunities, you can include drills that players like. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you have to, to educate educate the players that actually you are getting this number of repetitions and um, they're of a higher quality and they have a better effect on, on the game. And um, uh, then it just becomes a matter of how how much you want to, um, I don't want to say fight with the player, but fight with the player uh, to, to, to get your point across. Yeah, I would definitely agree that if you're in a situation where you're only training once or twice a week, then you need to yeah. maximize what you're getting out of that training. You know, you can't be wasting time in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's uh, that's a different. That's, I mean, that that's a much different situation to to mine, for example. And in that case, I would just say I would point out the number of reps and say we don't have more time to do it. This is the amount of time that we have, and we can't afford to use that time. Uh, 45 minutes of our two hours just to do serve and reception um, or whatever the whatever the case may be yeah well it's like the, it's the efficiency thing like going back to the on debron conversation that we had yep um yeah the and that is actually to that end the, the funny side of one of these conversations we had is you know one of my primary pastors one of my outside hitters was was talking about the difference in the reps that you know she felt like she was getting it's like well you know when we do it in in a in a game-like situation, then, you know, I'm, my mind is, is taken up by the fact that I, you know, I might have to go hit or whatever. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's what happens in a game. Correct. That's you, how volleyball you, works. You need that mentality. It's, you're not going to ever be back there just going, okay, I'm going to pass this ball and then I'm going to pass the next ball too. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, if our players aren't understanding the purpose, then it's our job to, to teach them. And I mean, we don't just teach them skills. You know, we we teach them other lessons along the way. The purpose of practice is to get ready to play, not to not to drill. Drilling is is an end in itself. It's certainly in the context that uh, Tom Tate talks about it, and um, that's not the object of everything we do. Is to prepare to play a game, and right. uh, our practice has to has to reflect that. Now, this may put you on the spot a little bit, <laughs> but when when you were doing the hitters clinic last year, the FIVB clinic in England, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the subject came up about using a machine, a, yep. a serving machine, a hitting, you know, whatever for for pass, passing reps or defensive reps and whatever. And the point that you made is that yes, sometimes you use them for a player to uh, you know to get reps, but you would absolutely positively never use it. As soon as there is more than one player, um, I, I'm not convinced that I said one player, but um, small groups of, of two or three that we can do a large volume in a short period of time. Well, I think the point you are making is because of the read and communication element required. Uh, you know, as soon as you have two people, that the machine takes that away. Uh, okay, we're talking about receiving with two receivers on the court. Um, right. I yes. almost never. Yeah, I, yeah not, 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 not a lot of 
players, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, we. I, I do it quite a bit this year because um, just the structure of the way we're practicing right now, we have um, a lot of small group work, and it it fits well in small group work from a um, just from a timing and organization point of view, and um, I think there are some. Uh, small benefits to it, much less than uh, than certainly the uh, manufacturers of the of the equipment would would suggest. Um, but in terms of organization of reception, so how multiple people work together to be receivers, uh, it's not it's not valuable, and we don't I don't use it at all for that. It's just individual um, bang 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 reps yeah exactly I, I remember we got one when i was coaching at brown like you you just alluded to in the spring in women's volleyball in division one you're only allowed to you know to work them during the non non-traditional season so before you're you're into your full spring team practices when you're only got your two hours a week you can only yeah. go groups of one to four yep and that's, you know, if you, as a coaching staff, if you're doing three groups or four groups a day and you want to work on service Eve and it ends up being the coach who's doing on serving, that's, that's a lot of wear and tear in the shoulders. Uh, so yeah. yeah. The, the machine was, was strictly to, I don't know, give us, to give the coaches a break is primarily what it was about. Yeah. And, and, and I can understand it from that perspective. Uh, like I said, it it has value. It's just we just have to be, and all the kind, all the types of drills that we do, and all the types of practice that we do have have has value. Have value. The 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 important thing is to understand um, exactly what that value is. To not overvalue something. So the work with the machine is not a high value work. It's a uh, it's a uh, small work. It's uh, we can uh, perhaps use it to, as I said, develop the common language between player and coach. That feedback during gameplay practice is then uh, more efficient and more um, more useful. Um, uh, if we think that by spend so for that reason, it has value for that purpose. It has value, but if we use the machine. Um, thinking that uh, that our receivers are suddenly going to be Giorgio, uh, Sergio rather, um, after two months of work, then um, that would not be valuing it in the correct way. Right. Yeah. Just because you're increasing the volume, you're not, incre not. increasing the the quality. Um, uh, by in it's by increasing the number of repetitions, you by definition, decrease the quality of those repetitions because you have to take them further and further away from the game. And it's the, it's the continuum, the constant, it's a continuum and it's a constant tightrope that you go back and forth on between maximum um, quality, i.e. maximum, maximum specificity, closest to gameplay, and maximum repetitions, maximum volume. And the two things are mutually exclusive. So you, you're always going back and forth along that continuum, depending on the day of the week, the time of the 
uh, this time of the season, um, all of those things, and that's the the art of uh, of organizing of organizing practice. Right, and and something that I don't think usually gets talked about very much in terms of block versus random is that, especially in college volleyball in the U.S., you've got a lot of issues with um, female players and overuse, especially in the shoulders and the knees. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can't speak to to the professional ranks, but I'm sure there's there's issues there as well. If you're if you're going block and you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. That's the sort of setup that's prime for developing overuse issues. I mean, if you have a player just serve balls and serve balls and serve balls or hit balls and hit balls and hit balls, then yeah, they're going to grind on their shoulder. Whereas if you put them in a, in a game, more game-like situation where they have to execute different skills and different combinations, you, you can take a little bit of stress off of that. They don't have to do as many reps as we just talked about. It's, it becomes more quality. And so I found you know, when I was coaching in Sweden that we had one player who had some, some shoulder issues come up, but for the most part, I didn't hear them complain at all about anything beyond the normal aches and pains of, you know, being a volleyball player. Um, yeah. That's, that's natural. Um, and I like to think that at least part of it, you know, hopefully part of it was the, the work we were doing in strength and conditioning. And, but I think also the structure and the training. Uh, I, I think all the parts of the program, are, all the parts of the training program, are, um, affect how players react to all the all the stimulus. And I think that, um, uh, particularly physically, particularly in terms of uh, in terms of injury. So, the type of practice, the amount of practice, the attention of the players to practice, the I guess preparation, the um, prevention, exercise, the way training work, they're, they're, all, uh, they're all included in that. And as Vital uh, talked about, uh, I don't know if he, I don't remember if he did on, on his interview, but he talks often about that his goal with the weight training program is that the players never miss practice. So um, that's, the, that's the main objective. And... Um, he had good results by working in that way. Uh, we're winding down on time. So uh, any final comments? Yeah. Uh, uh, the final comment that I, that I wanted to make is, in a sense, maybe the most important one, but maybe that's uh, good to leave it at the end. And, and Tom made the point about uh, random distributed practice that even that the, it's important for the coaches to focus the feedback in the gameplay drills on the things that they're working at. And, and that's, the, that's the key. So the, the game is teaching the, the game, but if we're working on one or two specific things, then we provide feedback on those one or two specific things during the practice. And that's where we can make that uh, link, if you if you will, between technical training and gameplay training, and um, the scoring system is one part, and the uh, where the coach gives the specific feedback is the other part, and uh, I think that's the the point I'd like to I'd like to leave it with. All right.
Very good. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For show notes and more, visit volleyballcoachingwizards.com backslash podcast. Got an idea for a future episode or want to ask a question? Send an email to podcast at volleyballcoachingwizards.com.